Yo, what's up? It's Greg Friel here again, once again at the Friel Thing podcast. Second time lucky. We, we tried doing this on Riverside.fm, major technology issues. Um, so we're on Zoom. So if you want to complain about the, the, the quality, then, you know, shut up. Um, anyway, so I'm here with uh, the legend that is Darren Christie. Darren Christie, can I even say his name? Darren Christie. To be um, fair, mate, I've been called worse, so it's all right. Well, you know, I mean, I hear you've been known as, you know, the big D, which sounds slightly suspect. Um, <laughs> Penfold, reference to 80s Danger Mouse cartoon. Um, Cameron Diaz's ex. I'm not sure that's strictly true, but we'll get to that. We need to get to that. But um, Why would you let the truth get in the road of a good story? No, no, no. no exa- I mean, I'm like, let's push the story. The story's good. Um, absolutely. <laughs> So um, for the folks at home, a quick 30 seconds on who you are and what it is that you do. All right. So my name is Darren Christie. Um, uh, you can probably tell my accent. I, I've, I've born and raised in the west of Scotland. Um, but from my own point of view, I work for an organisation called People Plus. Um, and the whole point of what we do is to help unemployed people of Glasgow back into work. Um, that's a very long story cut short, but essentially that's what we're here for. We're here to help unemployed job seekers um, get as much help and support as they can to then move them into sustainable work. Fantastic. Well done. Elevator pitch. Sorry. Um, I was thinking last night in, in preparation for this, because you know I'm vaguely professional, I'm thinking, do your research, Greg, which involved me going, when did I meet Darren? Um, <clears throat> and I'm thinking it was about five years ago. Yeah, it won't be far off that, mate, because I actually thought about this myself. Um, because there's a few people, so we're probably going to talk about this, but the networking event I host, there's a few people who I've never met that come to the networking mm-hmm. event, which is which is great. But you and I met, must be five years ago at least. Mm-hmm. And <clears> I <throat> want to see the village. I think... I want to see the village was the first place, maybe. Possibly. I was thinking... It was um, the, the first time I remember actually having a conversation with you, although I may have seen you at other events because, you know, you're quite noticeable. Um, <laughs> I think the first time I actually had a conversation with you was at Partick Thistle uh, Football Club. Yes. And you were that, talking to, Yeah, that could be right. Yeah, and you were chatting to Leanne McCall um, and came over and I had a chat and you knew her and I just met her and blah, blah, blah. Um, and you were do, you were... Were you working in finance or something like that at the time? No, so I would have been working in recruitment at the time. Um, so when I, yeah, when I first started going to kind of networking events as such, uh, my background, I suppose in essence, my background was I, I played golf for years and then I came back to Scotland. I fell into recruitment and then had a few recruitment roles. Um, and when I first came back and I started this networking thing, when you turn up and there's like a squad, like loads of people in the one room. I remember the first networking event thinking, what? what is all this like mm-hmm. all these people in the one place um so yeah so when i first started networking when you and i probably first met i was working in um recruitment mainstream right because well. right. i mean i mean no disrespect but i think you've had about five jobs um, and <laughs> um yeah it's been a journey mate yeah absolutely <laughs> um but i think the thing really that, that actually unites all of this though is generally the fact that uh, you're a people person you know, um, it always comes down to people and relationships. Yeah, I've been, I've been quite fortunate. The, the last couple of jobs I've been in, um, I'm, I'm in them. Yes, I have moved a little bit recently, um, but I've been asked 
by people to come work for them, um, which is nice. And I think that's a, a kind of testament to the fact that I'm quite a happy big guy. Um, and yeah, people's skills has always been something that's that's kind of got me by in life. Um, so yeah, the last couple of roles I've been in, I've been asked, nice to be asked, um, to come along and work for these organisations. So um, yeah, so it's been it's been nice. Considering I train and coach people on job searching and CVs, I've not actually had to do much of it. <laughs> Yeah, I know what you mean. It's um, you kind of like, yeah. I mean, don't don't you know that? It's like, oh, and then you kind of like, oh yeah, hold on, I've I've never really had to to do that. Yeah, myself. I don't really do that much. Yeah, um, yeah. So l- let's go let's go way back to when you were a wee boy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I mean, obviously, I I mean, for for those of you, uh, for the, for those people who know you, they know that you're you know massively into your golf. Yeah. Uh, and to the extent that you were a, a pro golfer one time and um you know and i'm sure there's countless stories um you can tell there uh, but we don't have that kind of time there um but tell us about wh- whenever you were growing up were you thinking i want to be a footballer because i know you're into your football as well or was golf one of these things that you kind of got into really really young and it was like that was it you know this is what i want to do no, <laughs> like not at all. Um, I think f- for a boy who grew up where I grew up, so like I'm, I'm from the west of Scotland, I grew up in Glasgow and Paisley. Um, everybody I grew up with loved football and generally speaking, you would support one of two football teams. Um, but as a kid, I just loved football. And, and when I was younger, like my dad was, was kind of into his football and stuff like that. My dad used to run my, my, my kind of local football teams and stuff like that. So we'd be very much involved in football. And I was really lucky when I was younger um, that I got to the point when I was, the old YTS programme. So it was a YTS with Dundee um, at football. Um, and I always remember this. It was one Sunday. I was about, I think it was just before my 14th birthday. Uh, my football was cancelled because the weather wasn't great. Now, my dad, you wouldn't exactly call him a golfer. My dad's idea of golf is six cans in a bag, um, day out type of golf. It's not, it's not what you would call a golfer. So he was having a, a, a golf day with the boys. <laughs> And uh, one of the lads cancelled and my dad said, well, look, one of the boys is called off. Do you want to come along and play with us? And I was like, dad, golf, no, like not happening, not my thing. <laughs> and, and if you're thinking about it, no. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I always remember this, he said to me, well, if you come along, um, we'll stop at the shops and we'll get some stuff and then we'll pop into McDonald's on the way home. And I was like, oh, <laughs> sold, <laughs> I'll come along. Um, so, yeah, so like I started playing uh, I went, we went to Lynn Park Golf Club, um, which is uh, in south side of Glasgow, and my granddad's old clubs, kind of typical story, started playing, and the, the very first shot I hit, I hit quite well, and I always remember my dad uh, saying to me, can I do that again, and hit it again, and, and my dad then turned around and said, I, I remember talking to my dad and saying, is that not what you're supposed to do, and my dad's exact words were, and apologies for anyone if this offends them, um, not the first time you had a golf shot, you wee dick. <laughs> um, <laughs> to, to, to which, so then started playing in, in the local golf club at the time in Paisley, we're doing a junior membership for 50 quid. Um, so my dad said, look, we'll get your membership and uh, we'll take it from there. Started playing when I was 14, from pro when I was 18. Um, it was wow. just one of the things I picked up really quickly, handicap plummeted down um, quite quickly. So for a guy who, who, who who's been on to kind of all right um out of golf um i didn't really have a big you hear about all these people who had big junior careers and and, and blah 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 i wasn't that guy because i didn't really start getting good enough till i was kind of 17 18 to really start competing just I, I was late to the party so yeah 
Thunder System when I was 18, um, played a little bit here, um, but delusioned with the fact that a lot of times when people turn pro here, they work in a golf shop, and that's actually all you do. You don't actually get to play golf. So you live this big dream comes around and you think, oh, I'm going to play golf all the time, and you watch telly, and it's like Tiger Woods, and, and blah, blah, blah. And mm. No, it's, it's, it's nothing like that. Um, so it was literally happening. So basically, you, you sit in a shop and you work in a golf shop. So working, turning professional at the level I did, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't elite level stuff. Um, you basically are allowed to work in a golf shop, and that's it. So I, I get sick of selling Mars bars and Willie jumpers, effectively thinking and telling everybody I was a golf pro on hundred and twenty-five pound a week uh, on <laughs> on my golfing apprenticeship. Um, and then effectively, what happened was. A guy I know was offering, it was doing football scholarships or soccer scholarships out in the States. Mm -hmm. nice. And uh, had said to me, look, I've got a lot of contacts out there. If you want to go to America, um, I can get you a, a scholarship out in the States. And at the time, I was I, I was just about to turn 21. Uh, and thought that's a much better option than sitting in the shop. So took the scholarship, went to the States, and ended up spending five and a half years there. Wow. Which was amazing. So it was just a great experience. Um, and whereabouts were you based? So my first year, um, first year was in North Carolina. Um, and then I effectively signed for a bigger school, bigger team. Um, moved to Tennessee, spent three years in East Tennessee. Uh, and then I graduated and, and properly turned pro, moved down to Florida. And I was the head assistant down at LPG International down in Daytona Beach. So I spent, um, I was, it was a year and a half, I was about 14, 15 months in Daytona. Uh, and then I came home for Christmas, um, <laughs> Christmas 2009, I came home for a six-week holiday. Mm -hmm. And it's been a long Christmas. <laughs> so what, what made the change? What made you not go back? Go back for family, buddy. So when, when, I, when, I, when I was growing up, I wasn't, um, I wasn't exactly what you would call on the agenda. My mum had been when she was 17. So I was kind of brought up with quite a lot with my grandparents and my little granny felt, and that was the reason I was coming home for Christmas. And uh, I think just coming home and seeing family and getting back into Scotland, I mean, I, it's funny, like, I, I was one of these people that became more Scottish when I left. So yeah. so I left. I, th I think that's what happens. It's just, you know, and I think the thing is as well, I mean, as, as you know, I mean, I I'd spent some time in New York when I was a kid and they just love the accent, you know, and, and, you know, and it's just, and you you kind of like I'm. I'm just opening my mouth and speaking, and 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 they're just like, "Oh my god, you get an accent." I'm like, oh, no, so sorry. do you?" Uh, yeah. it, like when, when you go out there, and especially, and you probably appreciate this, and, and Scottish people do this when they go on holiday. When you bump into another Scottish person when you're away, instant mm -hmm. best mates because it's someone yeah. someone else that actually speaks like the same way that you speak. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I, I had an amazing time, an amazing experience. Um, and what had actually happened when you first go, you get a five-year visa when you first go. Right. And um, I was at the stage of getting the next stage of the visa and, and blah, blah, blah. And, but it's like, it was like three and a half thousand dollars for the next stage of the visa. So I was very much in the kind of, am I doing this? Am I not doing this? Because once after that, that's you pretty much into kind of citizenship and living there and, and life is in America, pretty mm -hmm. much. And, How did uh, you find the adjustment? I mean, because I mean, I know what it was like for me. I mean, you were older. I mean, I was seven when I went over. So it was, just, and it was yep. very, very different then, you know. Um, it was just like the culture shock was just huge. Yeah, uh, so moving to the south, mate. Um, so the deep, dirty south and 
North Carolina and Tennessee. It's it's culturally very different, and it's very very different from from what you probably experienced in New York. It's a very um, friendly atmosphere, but it's just a strange. There's a lot of racism in the South, um, which is part of the reason why you've seen a lot of the kind of Black Lives Matter stuff that's kicking off. Um, it has been for, for, to be honest, it's been it's been like this for a long time. It's just now, I, I kind of feel like someone's put a label on it, and it's now mm. starting to get a bit of traction in social media and stuff like that, which is which is great because it's it needs more exposure. Um, but some of the stuff I witnessed when I was over there, beggars belief. Um, both from white and black, it, it wasn't a. Yeah, so culturally it was just very different. Um, mm-hmm. There's, there's the, probably the best way I can explain it in, in America and compared to Scotland is one, they're very, very friendly if they're all of the same type. I, I felt as if when I lived there that it was very kind of divided, so people stayed with their own type. Mm-hmm. Um, and me being a bit of a social butterfly, I would kind of float around and speak to everybody and, and, and kind of get on with everyone. And, and a lot of people just didn't understand that, didn't understand how as a Scottish person, or as anyone get out there, how you could be so friendly with everyone rather than just mm-hmm. sticking to your own. I mean, I, certainly I, I, I found, I mean, no, no disrespect to my American friends, but um, there is quite a lot of an insular attitude to oh, massively. A, a, lot, a lot of Americans. And it's like, they, they, there's just nothing beyond America, you know, so uh, in terms of I'll talking you a- about, you know. Yeah, I'll give you a very, very quick example of this. So my communications, so I went out on a scholarship, which means I do a university degree out there. And my communications class, we had to pick a subject and talk about it for 10 minutes in front of a full auditorium in a university. And I was really struggling to pick something, but I thought the easiest thing I could talk about was my journey to America. Um, and get out there. So one of the things I decided to, to do was right off the bat, I was going to pick someone in uh, the auditorium who had who had been abroad and talk about their experience in America, their experience abroad versus my experience coming to the States. And I thought, big man, you've smashed that. That's a great idea. Like, absolutely brilliant. Really excited about this. Um, stood up in front of the auditorium and I said, who in here? And by the auditorium, 250, 300 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, who in here? Um, or when was, it, when was the last time someone was abroad? Tumbleweed. Who in here has been a... I then said, who in here has a passport? One person who was a lecturer put their, put their hand up. And it just kind of let me see that they only ever see their own little bubble. They only ever see um, what's in their little world. Um, and they don't ever get to see anything else. They don't ever get to talk about anything else. Even in, like in the States, there was quite a few people I went to school with who hadn't been any further than 20 miles from their house for their whole life. Yeah. Which to me just blew my mind. Yeah. Crazy. Um, but, but yeah, it was like, the whole America thing was a great experience for me because I think for me, it also opened my eyes to the way other people live, the way other people go about their lives, the way other people... Um, and, and there's a lot of positives to living in the South. It's such a friendly culture. It's such a friendly um, environment. And I remember uh, Thanksgiving, which is a huge thing for, for people in the States. Um, the very first Thanksgiving I was there, I must have had a dozen invites to come to their family. And, and Thanksgiving for them is like Christmas Day, so yeah, these people, they didn't Very have welcome. to invite me. Yeah, massively, hugely, hugely welcoming culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's different from us. And I think that was the part that I kind of 
struggled with initially was because I, I, I probably wasn't prepared. You see, because when you watch American movies and they speak English and, and, and various other things, there's probably a lot, a preconceived idea that they're quite similar to yeah. us and how we operate and stuff like that, mainly <clears throat> because they speak the same language. And they're not, I mean, they, they, they do think differently, they operate differently, um, which isn't a bad thing, it's just, it's different. And I, and I think for me, that was the thing that I wasn't ready for when I first yeah. went out. I mean, I think the, the thing for me was, I mean, I was at the age where, um, you know, your formative years in, in school and, you know, kids are going to be interested in, in here, in the UK, it would be where you're starting to get into football and that kind of thing. And the States, you know, it's baseball and American football, literally from the moment you're born. Yep. So when I went over there, literally, I was like, what even is this? I have no idea what this is. So I immediately felt alienated because I had no idea about sport or anything. So then when I traveled back to Glasgow again, I, I knew nothing about football. Um, so like sport was this divisive thing for me. It was kind of like, it was like, it was the thing that made me feel like I didn't belong to the culture because I didn't grow up with it. You know, the other, you know what I mean? Greg, funnily, I, I had the, I had almost the exact same experience. And the, the hard thing for me was I went out to America because of sport, but because I wasn't into American sports. So like you're saying, American football and baseball. Mm -hmm. So when I, I went out in 2004 and I, I remember thinking, out to play sport, I'll, I'll connect with all the athletes and blah, blah, blah. And they would start chatting about American football. And I always remember this. Someone asked me, um, who do you think is a better quarterback between Peyton Manning and Tom Brady? And I was like, quarterback, is that the guy that throw, throws it? Is that the guy that, that does that thing? Absolute disgust in yeah. the fact that I, I had mentioned this. But because, and I mean, I know American football and stuff like that has become a lot, a lot bigger now, but when I went out in 2004, wasn't shown in the UK at all. So I, I had no interest or no knowledge of who these people were. And they were, in the States, they are superstars. So mm -hmm. Manning and, and, and um, Brady was a bit like, you know, I suppose that you take Messi and Ronaldo when it comes to football or whatever yeah. else. They are absolute icons and gods, but never knew who they were. <laughs> well, that was the thing. I mean, I, I there was a time um, when I really got into baseball back here, and I, and I used to watch it on Channel 5, it was, on a Sunday night, and uh, and it was on until like 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, and like I was like thinking I was keeping pretty up to date with everything that was going on. And, and then you talk to anybody in America or whatever, I'm like, where are they getting all of this additional information from? The, you know, I'm kind of like, I, I thought I was, you know, pretty up to date with what was happening. I'm like, <laughs> but I'm like, they know, they know like this guy's family and everything. I'm like, what? You know, so it, I think it's, it's, it's so ingrained as part of the culture and sports, such a, such a huge thing. And it is actually in a lot of ways, I think, what it is to be American, you know, like these sports kind of encapsulate the American ideal. Oh, uh, massively. And do you know the one thing I really appreciate, I, I love when I was out there, they are phenomenally passionate fans. Yeah. Without the hatred. Absolutely. Yeah. So like, like here, obviously you get your Rangers and Celtic thing. And, and, and I remember that the very first football game I went to was a, uh, was a big local rival game. And, uh, and I suppose like for me, I had this kind of Rangers and Celtic thing in my head, like, oh, we're going to go and play a rival, uh -huh, so it's going yeah. to be like this big hatred thing. And, and, and the old American, yeah. oh, like, like, yeah, I just thought it was going to be like the Wild West. Um, <laughs> we, turned, we turned up and we're like, four hours early because we're tailed for a football game and you're there four hours before. I don't know why we don't do this here, but four hours before and it's just bevy and barbecue. 
Mm-hmm. And they had me at hello. Um, so you turn up early and you and you just get have a few beers and guys with barbecues built up and it's just a big friendly cultural atmosphere before the game and the fans are together. So like a lot of people, typical American thing, they've got pop-up tents, they've got various other things and you would literally have one set of fans with one tent and then another set of fans with another tent right next to each other in the car park mm-hmm. before the game. Not there killing is no, each other. No way. I mean, like if you take Rangers and Celtic games, so much so that Central Station has to get segregated. Mm-hmm. It's um, insane. It really it's is. Just mental. So it, it, as much as there was, strangely, there was some divide over there. There was a lot of things that they done very differently from us, which actually brought a lot of people together. So it was, it was, um, yeah, like that. It was a great experience, and I and I loved it. Um, but after kind of five and a half years for me, it was kind of time. It was kind of time to come mm-hmm. home, and and then when I came home, I, I was literally home for about two or three days. Oh, and you knew. I, I've missed this. I've missed. I've missed the banter. I've missed being able to talk to people um, and not have to put on like a fake Jared <laughs> Butler accent type type thing, uh, which absolutely killed me. And I always remember this. Like I'd phone home, and uh, all my my American friends who would listen to the phone call would say, "Oh my god, I couldn't understand a single word that, mm-hmm. that you were saying on the phone." And on the same phone call, I've got my dad on the phone saying, "Why are you talking like that, mate?" <laughs> that's not the way I brought you up <laughs> it's, it's such a strange thing so, I, I think the thing is the other cultural thing as well and, and especially like to do with humour is that you know Americans largely don't understand British humour and they don't get oh. irony and they don't get when you're just kidding around and you know that kind of thing I, I posted a, a, a picture on Facebook last week and it was, I was obviously taking the piss, right? I, I had this app and it took my photo and it put it on a painting in the Louvre in Paris, right? And I'm I, surprised and, a lot there, mate. I, and I just said, you know, so uh, without any emojis or anything, I said, so, um, something so delighted to finally see my face up in the Louvre. Nothing, no, nothing like we wink, nothing just like deadpan, right? And most people were like, funny, blah, blah, blah. America, a couple of American people were like, what did you do to warrant being put up in a museum? Congratulations. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I mean, Greg, I tell you, do you know one of the, the, the big things I really struggled with? And I, I dare say most people uh, in Scotland will be the same here. In my family, being slagged is like a term yeah, of endearment. It's absolutely. like a, it's an acceptance thing. So if my family feel like they can slag you, then it's almost like you're accepted into the family, that like you're, you're kind of part of the family. And over there, it's, that's absolutely not the case at all. So, like, obviously, when I, when like I feel as if I'm starting... He, he's so rude. I can believe how rude he is. Did, yeah. did you actually hear the way he spoke to me? I mean, that is just downright ridiculous. <laughs> so, yeah, so, I, I, yeah, so like, get out there and, and trying to get banter or trying to kind of uh, get a bit, a bit of playful, playful chat with someone. Or the worst thing in the world is when you kind of crack a joke and then you explain the joke and then people go... Yeah, that wasn't funny. And I'm like, yeah, it's never funny when you need to actually like, like explain. No the joke is funny that... when you have to go into, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially when you go into details to why it's funny. Mm. Um, so, I mean, what was it? What was it you said to Cameron Diaz to kind of get her on side then? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so to, to, to kind of fill people in here, uh, unfortunately, I was never Cameron Diaz, he's, he's ex, no. apart from in my dreams, then I woke up and had my conflicts. Um, but yeah, <clears throat> worked at a summer camp in the States. It's one of the most expensive summer camps out there. 
by the way, I knew none of this before I went out. Um, and the, the, the camp itself um, was a camp called Camp Winoki, a camp, um, Camp Winnipesaukee on Lake Winoki. Um, easy for me to say. I was just going to say, easy for me. And the, the camp itself, for, for 51 days at camp, the parents pay $14,500. And that was. 2006, 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I dare say it's probably higher now. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> because of the, the, the level of money you're talking about, a lot of the people who went there, the kids were parents of bajillionaires. Um, a lot of them were mental money. And one of the kids, like, there's lots of stories of kids on the board at Apple or um, right. uh, one of the kids, uh, Eric Tellum, his dad's Alan Tellum, who's the second highest paid sports agent in America. But his mum makes more money than his dad because at the time his mum was the president of CBS. Just just crazy stuff like that. All oh, right, okay. <clears throat> yeah, just like, and, and by the way, dropped into conversation as if, well, mm. is, is your parents not? And I'm like, no, my dad's a spark. No. Um, so, yeah, so the, the, the camp itself, at day, at day 25, um, parents or loved ones could come along for Parents' Day. And um, the other thing about the camp as well is Ken Carter, who is Coach Carter, was the basketball coach, just to put it in the context of what this camp is actually like. Um, isn't that, isn't that Samuel Jackson played that in the... In yeah, the... Sam, Samuel L played him in a movie, and yeah. just the most intimidating, um, amazing guy I've ever met, ever. Uh, I believed every single word that came out of his mouth, just just had that demeanour about him. But anyway, so day 21, and Cameron Diaz is at camp because her friend's kids are at camp. And by the way, kids haven't cracked the light that mum's best mate's Cameron Diaz. Well, okay, they, they don't know. Haven't cracked the light, is it because just everybody's... Is, it, is your mum's best mate not like that? Oh, right, I see. Right, got it. Right, yeah, no. just not, like, just it's not cracked the light. It's normal. It's not so a big when, deal. So day 25 pitches up, and I'm like, like, and, and did not handle this well at all. And I was like, that's Cameron. That's Um, uh, anyway, so we, we, we kind of got to meet the parents and, and, and meet whatever else. And I, I, I spoke to, to Cameron very, very, very briefly. And she said, oh, are you from Glasgow? And, and by the way, nobody used to get the fact I was even from Scotland with my accent. Mm-hmm. So the fact that she knew I was from Glasgow, I was absolutely blown away. She then starts talking about how the fact that she's uh, she's done some filming in Glasgow, loves the city, Scotland's her favourite country to visit, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there trying to actively keep my tongue from dropping to the floor. Uh, just like, oh my god, you are like the nicest, the most amazing person I've ever met in my life. Um, and so anyway, later that day, you know, I've got a bunch of kids and I'm walking them to a certain part of the, the island that we're on, and um, I kind of waved over to a few people, and Cameron shouted over, "Oh hi, Darren!" And I melted, um, folded like a pack of cards, did not handle it well, had that whole kind of high pitch squeak, oh, hi, Cameron. Uh, <laughs> never, never dealt with it at all. And the worst part about it was the kids I had at the time were like 14, 15, and 16 year old boys uh, who proceeded to absolutely rip me. Destroy you. Oh, like completely. Um, and, and had no comeback from them whatsoever because I, you know, when you always like, you, you, you probably have these moments in your life that you think you'll deal with them better than mm-hmm. you actually do. Um, and I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll be smooth and I'll just talk with a Scottish accent because she loves it and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. and no, no, yeah. I never happened. Not, not even close. I always remember uh, many years ago um, speaking to my grandmother, um, who was an actress. And, you know, I said to her, you know, what's it like, you know, 
mean somebody famous i mean what say say like you know, obviously it was a long time ago i was like what what if i met michael jackson you know like i might get like really starstruck and she gave me the single greatest piece of advice and i swear to god i live by this advice she said greg think of it this way you're not meeting them they're meeting you <laughs> and i'm like yes so like you mean greg real that's it and it's just like you make that mental switch and it's just like yeah go all right fine it's fine yeah um so you come back um and you stay yes um, when when was that so i came back christmas of 2009 2009 right um so it was basically the start of 2010 is when i effectively decided to stay in scotland and, and, did, and did you kind of think okay well were you, in, in your head were you kind of thinking that's me done with golf or it's just like i don't want to go back to america i want to actually spend time with my family no so like um yeah golf was golf was pretty much done um i was kind of starting to get a bit sick of it i wasn't good enough to make it big time make it um, mm-hmm. good enough to kind of play at a decent level and, and make some money from it and stuff like that but not 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 good enough to to, to make it make it um so I, I went down to florida i was playing um a little bit realized very very quickly that the standards is just a joke um and as good as i thought i was not not anywhere near at the races so started coaching a lot and i was coaching a lot and, and, and life was good um living in florida and then when i came home i, I suppose like when you live in a bubble and you, you kind of forget about everything else and whatever and then when I, when that bubble was busting i came home and, and found everything else and i was like it's not why it's actually not that important to me like it's not as important to me as i thought and, and so many people say to me like when i say i used to play golf professionally in daytona and there's so many people saying, oh, give my right arm for that. And I'm like, yeah, but it's even you live somewhere and you've got to pay bills and you've got to do washings yeah. and you've got to do everything Just else. It, it, it becomes a bit less sexy, albeit the weather's decent. <laughs> yeah, well, weather's decent, but but it's all the other stuff, you know, geography. Everything yeah. else, mate. So, and, the, and the cultural stuff, uh, at the end of the day, there is that simple fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter how long you live there or whatever, there is that sense that, do I really belong here? Yeah, and I, I don't think it ever, when I was out in the States, I don't think it ever felt that, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I had nobody out there that I would class as my best mate or, or, or anything yeah. like that, if, if that makes sense. Um, so when I came back and I went out with the boys and I was not just like, this just feels right, this feels better. Um, and then the funny thing is I was a bit scarred with golf because I'd, I'd played it for years, uh, constantly playing it five, six, seven times a week. And that sounds like a problem. It's a first world problem to get that before anybody jumps in. Um, but yeah, playing it, playing it constantly all the time. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to take a, a break from golf. Uh, I'll take a few months off. I came back in January, season doesn't really start till April, May. And I thought, well, do you know what, I'll take a few months off and I'll not go back to it. I didn't play golf for three and a half years. Um, wow. Like at all. I played two rounds of golf um, in three and a half years, and both of them were drunken golf days. That golf was a consequence of the day, yeah. um, not not uh, not actually golfing. A so, conscious decision to go and play golf. No, it was like, do you want to come to this drunken golf day? And I was like, drunken, yeah. Um, so yeah, so didn't play at all. And then the usual story. I was quite fortunate that a few of the boys I played with out in the states haven't wanted to do well and, and make it and, and whatever else which is great um but the uh watch the masters a few of the boys were playing and then i decided to um go to the drive range pick it back up and, and i'm now actively back playing again but yeah i had that kind of it was about three and a half years where i i didn't play didn't play at all clubs were up the loft and didn't come back down 
So it's strange that though, isn't it? I mean, it, it's kind of like because it had become the job, you know, then it's kind of it's tied to that in your head. And then you kind of like, yeah, do I really, you know, want to do this? And because it, it became the job, it wasn't what you, you know, loved about it in the first place. Yeah, I dare say there's, there's lots of people who do things, so singing or, or, or football or golf or whatever else. When your passion becomes your living and it becomes a job, you forget that you enjoyed it, if that makes mm, sense. Like it absolutely. becomes a job, so it becomes the thing that you do to make money. Um, so a lot of times, like if I was having a bad day in the office, for example, um, the my release was to go play golf. Uh, my, my, my release from the office, at least from what I was doing, was to, to go and play golf and disappear in the golf course and a lot of times put my headphones in and just kind of zone out type thing. But when you're trying to get away from the thing that makes you happy, yeah. Did that, does that make sense? Like, so like, totally. When, when, I mean, when golf. It was like that for me with, with music. I mean, I was, I had to take, that's why I started working doing business stuff away from the music industry because the music industry stuff that I was doing, I was hating. I literally was like, yeah, you're taking the joy out of this for me and I'm not enjoying working with anybody. Um, and it's just like, you know, I want to, if, if I'm making music, I want to enjoy doing it because it's my passion. That's what I love more than anything else. Um, but if if I'm hanging around with these people and, and the industries like this and it kind of like, no. So now I've come back to it, uh, you know, but on my terms and, 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 and doing things that I want to do and not, no, I don't want to do that. It's probably exactly the same for me. So I, I now have a job job um, and golf is back to being that thing for me where, <coughs> so Usually I play golf at eight, nine o'clock at night when I get the little man down to bed. Got the golf course, there's nobody up there, stick my headphones in, sometimes take a dog up with me, and I just walk around the golf course and play golf. And it's back to being what it what it was for me, if mm. that makes sense. Um, and I now love playing golf again. Back to the point where I, I feel like that 16, 17-year-old kid that was just out playing because I loved the sport mm. and whatever else. And I'm a little bit older, 16 or 17. So, um, but yeah, so it's, it, it's, it's, it's kind of went full circle for me. It's, it's back to golf will never ever be a career for me again. It'll never be, I will yeah. never, I'll probably never work in the golf trade if I'm being honest, um, not even as a rep or, or whatever. Um, so, golf very much is now back to being my sanctuary or solace. Some people meditate, mm-hmm. some people go to the gym, some people do whatever it is that you do to, to kind of get yourself away from what you're doing golf is back to being that thing for me golf is back to being um my my thing your happy place yeah yeah it's very much me so work-wise right yes um when did you start working in recruitment not long after i came back so i started um long story short here is i came back and i used to manage a a men's suit shop in silverburn called remus yomo um and yeah so um it was a gaffer and remus when i first came back and I worked. I I had worked. A, I basically worked for a year in, in retail, and I worked at Christmas retail. So for anyone who's done this before, Christmas in retail is honking. Um, you'll get like one or two days off in December if you're lucky, and it is the most manic, hectic, mental. And by the way, see anybody who works in, in retail at Christmas, doff my hat to you. It is an incredibly hard, difficult job. And effectively, what happened was I'd used a recruitment agency. Um, to fill my Christmas temp. So the Christmas temps I was having on, I used a recruitment agency to to, to, to to bring these people in. 
And when he came back in January to ask if we can do anything for you, and I was like, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need any staff, but you work in recruitment. So uh, what does an ex-golf pro, ex-store manager do if I don't really want to do anything? And I very much had this kind of strange conversation where I had no idea what I wanted to do. No idea what I was doing. No, and I just back from the States and kind of, and obviously I didn't, I never really Tended to move back to Scotland, so this was all kind of like a little bit up in the air, and like I had no idea what I was doing. Right. And uh, they they said they basically said, um, "Do you fancy a career in recruitment?" And I remember at the time thinking, hadn't even I was way left field, hadn't thought about it. Um, and I also remember saying, what, "What do you need to work in recruitment?" And they were like, "Just be able to chat, be a bit of a people person, um, and a good work ethic." And I was like, "Well, if that's all you need, <laughs> I'm your man. And I can do that." Um, so yeah, so started working in recruitment. Uh, initially started working in kind of what I'm doing just now. So it's it's um, government recruitment helping employ people back into work. Um, and very quickly realised that in commercial recruitment there was a lot more money to get made. And when I, I was chatting to a few of my, my mates who actually worked in recruitment, and I found out what they were doing for a job, and realised very quickly it wasn't that different from what I was currently doing. Right. Um, and I started approaching a few recruitment agencies. Um, and I started working an organisation called Search Consultancy and um, very quickly started working with them. I was making a lot more money, um, but typical life in recruitment. I was working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, constantly flat out. Yes, the money was great, but it's not a life. Um, and and yeah, so I worked in, worked in mainstream recruitment for a number of years and I then... I set my own thing up for a little bit because I thought I was that, that was the better idea to do and get dragged back into effectively what I'm doing now. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting you're saying about, you know, getting paid more money, but you're doing crazy hours and that's not life. And I think as we get older, um, as we all are, um, you know, you kind of go, you know what, I want to spend more time with, you know, your partner and, whatever and just you kind of go that no that's life you know that that's what the like the rest of the time is just like i'm doing that to make money yeah okay um and you want to enjoy what you're doing obviously but um you know otherwise it's just you know you get to 16 you're kind of like oh right yeah i didn't actually spend my time with you know my significant other and do the things that we wanted yeah. to do and look i i think part of the wake-up call for me was i i saw that in my dad so my dad's had a great career my dad's done really well um, but kind of missed out on a lot of stuff, and especially for me growing up. Um, and the world starts to to change quite quite dramatically for me. So I met my partner, um, and we have a, a little legend um, mm-hmm. who turns two in November. And I think that was the the, the huge wake up call for me was that I, 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 as great as that life was, and we had a lot of when I grew up with my dad, we had stuff. Nicer holidays with a nicer house, um, whatever else. And I just always thought to myself, like, is that what I want? Or what? I, and I suppose you have one of these kind of like people talk about these things, but you have these kind of like life moments when you have a chat with yourself and mm-hmm. whatever else. And I just kind of thought, I don't actually think that that's that's what I want from my life. I mean, it's, this isn't a dress rehearsal, so yeah, um, exactly. So yeah, so I, I, I've kind of started to to look at my life very very differently and start to look at. What is actually important to me? What what is what is the part that, that's the driving force for me? What is the part that that makes me want to get up in the morning? And 
unfortunately, it's not money. Mm-hmm. Um, I am still driving money. I still want to have a good life and, and, and live a, a decent life. And I'm very, very motivated. And I think playing golf professionally, whatever else, that competitive nature never, ever leaves you. Um, so I'm still very competitive and still want to, to have a better life. But I've structured that differently now as far as um, what I give more importance to in mm-hmm. my life rather think, than working crazy hours to make crazy money. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I think um, it's just kind of working out what it is that you want and then kind of going, all right, I'm not going to be available then. You know, it, and especially with technology and phones and all this kind of thing, just because somebody can call you at 11 o'clock at night or message you at 24 hours a day doesn't mean you need to respond. Correct. Um, and I'm actually getting a lot better at tuning out the weekend. Um, I mean, especially in, with the music side of things, you know, whenever I was gigging all the time, that's you, you, you work at the weekends. So in my head, it's kind of hard not to think of the weekend as the time when, when you work. So, but now yeah, you program kind of like, that way. Yeah. So now it's kind of a switch off, and I'm kind of I'm more like, no, I'm actually it's it's okay. You're actually allowed to you know, give yourself you know time off. And I think as well like the business model in terms of what it is how how I make my money is different as well. So you know it's like yeah, you know, I'm not looking at my diary and needing to have it filled, 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 filled with. Um, gigs or, or certain things it's kind of like I, I tend to do larger project kind of stuff now so you just kind of like it's just it's everything about the way I work is is actually just different but I think it's giving yourself that, permission mate. you know giving yeah. yourself permission I, think, I think for me like I, I was talking to something about this all day Greg for me I don't mean to tell people this I, I make quite a bit less money than what I used to make but I'm a lot happier now than I've probably ever been in my life so even even when I had the like, like the materialistic life of playing golf professionally in Florida and loving in Florida and it's not a bad life, but was I happy? I mean, I look back on it. Happiness is the currency. So, and that for me is one of the things when I look back and think, yeah, but life was great. And I'm like, yeah, but I wasn't happy. So, yeah. So when I look at it now and I've got my little boy and we spend a lot of time together and I now back to enjoying golf and, 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 great relationship with my partner we're engaged going to get married soon move into a new house in four weeks time I just look at everything and think life now is what I think life should be as in like I'm a lot happier in what I'm doing um, even for the, the job I've got now so I, I help unemployed people back into work it's a hugely satisfying job that when I do my job that I get paid to do mm-hmm. I'm also helping unemployed people back into work so for example Ample, um, an hour before we come on this podcast, mate, I got a guy before he's been unemployed for two and a half years. He's got two young kids. He's been really struggling with life. Um, and he's got a job in a cafe, albeit he's only worked in there for a year and a half. But he phoned me like ecstatic with, oh my God, thank you so much for this. And I kept saying to him, it's my job. Like, you don't, mm-hmm. you thank me. It's not like. Um, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not like, I don't know, you're not a debt collector. <laughs> or yes. It's not like you're phoning up some, you know, you know, giving people bad news or some shit, yeah. you know, it's just, you know, you're giving them the good news. I'm actually giving you a chance of having a life here, you know? Oh, very much, mate. And I think I think that's where, when I, when I take the whole, you know, I'm talking big pictures up, when I take the whole package in and, and I've got a great relationship with family and my kid and, and my little dog and golf and various other things, what I do now for a living fits very much in with 
Because I, I, like, I'm a big believer that if you do the right things by the right people, it's not a coincidence that I've started since I've adopted that attitude in my life that my life, I think, has got better. Yeah. Um, I feel as if I've got luckier in life. Um, but whether it's, some people call it karma, some people call it whatever, but I'm just a big, a big believer that if you, if you do the right things and, and conduct yourself in the right manner, it's not a coincidence that good things happen to more people who do things like that, as opposed to trying to be snidey and trying to double cross someone or, or, or whatever else. It's not a coincidence that bad things, it's not a coincidence for me that my life has managed to, to hugely turn around when I started to look at things differently. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, you know, a couple of years from now, any idea where you where you want to be? So it's funny, mate. I, for the first time in my life, I've probably not really thought about that. I'm very much enjoying the present. I'm very much enjoying what I've got. Eyes. Um, I'm wondering like, if that's kind of a co- consequence of the whole pandemic thing, because you know, like everybody's like, oh, my five year plan, and, and there's this and that kind of thing. And you're like, yeah, yeah. but guess what? Like, you know, this gets in the way, and you kind of you can't plan a damn thing. You don't know what's going to happen. Greg, I had a team meeting about this this morning, actually. So we've, um, as the world's starting to open back up and we're coming out of the tier system and blah, 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 we've arranged a face-to-face job sphere. Um, and usually, so this job sphere is meant to happen at the end of September. Given the fact that we're in July, I would usually be stressed out of my box and I was trying to make sure this is all <clears throat> sorry, planned and organised and various other things. But we're kind of chatting this morning to say that Jobs fair on the 29th of, of September that we're supposed to be hosting. I, I, I don't actually know what it's going to look like because I, I don't know if we're, we're still going to be in tier systems. I don't know if it's going to be X amount of people to a room, if we need to space out two meters, if we need, I don't know any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And strangely, I'm all right with it. Like normally, I, normally, Greg, I, I quite like things where, I, so for this jobs fair, I would say, like, I need you of that and I'll do this and I'll plan this, and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I think, I know there's a lot of people struggle with it. Strangely for me, I'm all right with it. Like, I'm all right not I think, knowing. I think we now. have to be more adaptable. I mean, I, that, that's the thing. I mean, human beings generally are fairly adaptable. You know, do we just look, eventually kind of get on with it. But I think the people who are doing best through this whole period are the people who've been just, you know, okay, right, all right, that, that's what's happening now. You know, just go with the flow kind of. Um, okay, it was part, part of the reason for me coming into work with People Plus uh, as an organisation, my, my, my this my, my previous employer um, had a lot of success doing things a certain way for for ages, and then obviously pandemic came along and kept trying to do the same things that they had success with in the past. And I completely get it because you're about you were talking about earlier on. Your brain's wired to know that that works well, mm-hmm. but the, the world is it's just very different now. So, and I think, especially for me who hosts networking events and various other things and chats to businesses every single day, the businesses that I can see thriving, doing well, or, or, or whatever, um, are the businesses that were willing to adapt, willing to pivot, even like yourself, Greg, like, so the stuff that you're doing is, is, is quite different from what you were doing probably 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, and, and again, there's different ways to look at things. There's people who look for, problems and people who look for solutions um, and I think the people that have found solutions in certain things so for example new business ventures are new things that so for example you could create a product that you probably wouldn't have thought about 18 months ago that you now promote very yeah. heavily because that's the way the world is now um, and and yes there's some trades and businesses that look the pandemic has just 
battered them. You own a restaurant, for example, there's yeah, nothing you can do because the government is... Yeah. yeah, so events, restaurants, things like the government has, has absolutely kiboshed, but there's certain businesses that... Um, even for you, I mean, your industry itself has been absolutely decimated, but there's certain people who have still been able to keep an income coming, they've still been able to, to, to grow the business, pivot the business, change things. And for me, that was part of the reason for Company People Plus was when I spoke to them, part of the reason for them bringing me on was they wanted my ideas, they wanted me to yeah. to talk to them about, like, we've kind of done this for so long and, and don't really know what to do, so we're very open to different ways of doing things. And the great thing for me, when, when I started with People Plus, there's lots of things that we've tried. Some of them haven't worked. Some of them just were kind of dead in the water pretty much straight away. But it, for me, it was just that that mindset of, do you know what? What if it works? Not, oh, that, that will not work because. Yeah. yeah. It was it was, always, it was always the mindset of, well, yeah, if that works, then we can do this. And if that works, we can do this. And there's lots of things we've managed to change and grow through failure sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. Been able to, to, to look at things and think, do you know what? That didn't work. And then in hindsight, you look back and think, that was never going to work. Yeah. Um, but just even having that mindset of the, or, or, or that freedom to to try something. And if it doesn't work, do you know what? I killed anybody. We've not, we've not, we've not done anything drastic. Um, mm -hmm. And we move on. So, you know, we couldn't um, have this chat without mentioning Coffee at the Castle, um, which is the networking event that you host on a Thursday, Thursday morning at 11, online. Thursday at 11 o'clock. <clears throat> um, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, obviously, I mean, this this was an event that happened in the real world beforehand, um, but then it's, it's gone yeah. online. And um, I mean, and it's it's so funny because it's an event that I, I would see that, you know, you, you would post uh, on Eventbrite and I'm like, I really should get across that. But because of the location <laughs> and all that kind of thing, it was like, I never did. Um, but to do it uh, virtually, then I'm kind of like, this is easy for me, you know, and, and it's and it's something I would never have, have gone on, um, or it would have been yeah. difficult for me to do anyway. Yeah, so I think the, the Coffee at the Castle thing and the evolution of Coffee at the Castle um, is something I'm, I'm actually really proud of. It. I'm really proud of what it's became, even though it's not strictly by design, um, the success of the event. So Coffee at the Castle was a networking event we originally set up in Renfrewshire. Um, my golf club that I'm a member of is in a pretty affluent area and there's a lot of business owners at the club and we originally thought that we'll set this up and we'll get just a, a, an avenue for business owners to get together and, and hopefully do a bit of business together. Um, <clears throat> an event was growing arms and legs and it was kind of going, it was, it was going great guns. It was an event we held every single month and eventually what happened was the pandemic came and on March 23rd last year we were supposed to have an event and I had been on at the time it was Google's Teams meets um and kind of thought could we like am I being ridiculous here to think mm. that this could be done through a virtual format like have I, have I officially lost my marbles now mm. um and I remember the first event I thought you know we'll stick it in event bright we'll see what happens we'll, we'll put on uh, 35 tickets uh, on Eventbrite, and it's a free event that we host, um, so it's not it's not a cost anybody. But I thought we'll do it for Eventbrite, and if we get a dozen people come along, that's <laughs> that's great. Um, two days later, I got an email from a client saying, "Dan, I can't book a ticket for your event. I think Eventbrite's down." 
And I was like, I, I don't know, I've, I've still got the emails coming in. It looks as if it's working to me. Mm-hmm. Found out that within a day, just over a day, the event had sold out. And I'm thinking, all right, so they were doing this. <laughs> this is like this is this is actually happening here. Yeah. Um and, and the first event, I suppose when I look back on it, the first event itself was all it was everyone kind of thinking, so how do we do this? Like what do we do? Yeah. Like like what happens here? Like do, do we talk now or do we not talk now? Do we go and mute or, or like like what, what do we do here? So it was literally just an event where I, I allowed people to come on, give us 60 seconds who they are, what they do, how they add value, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And the event was a big success um, and then we weren't doing a lot for lockdown so I thought rather than waiting for the next month I'll just put one on next week because I wasn't really doing much myself a bit mm-hmm. like everybody else uh, and then it's just next week and next month and the following month and the following month and then I don't know if you remember this like it was it was getting to the point where the tickets were going on sale at nine o'clock on a Thursday and they were sold out by ten past nine which I, I just find that comical like I just found that mm-hmm. mental because it was never like we'd never designed the event, but we weren't marketing it heavily. It wasn't something that we were trying to really push. I just think we found something that worked. Um, and a lot of people really appreciated it because it couldn't be face-to-face, we couldn't really do anything else. So it was either that or nothing. Um, and then kind of over the last, what are we, 14, 15 months or whatever it is since we've, yeah. we've been into the virtual world, um, the event has, has changed and tweaked and adapted. And it really... The event itself, um, I'd be really fortunate to have guys like um, Kenny DL and, and Niall Rackman that have, they do the technical stuff in the background. I am literally just a guy that comes on and talks a load of nonsense. Um, the other guys who actually kind of do all the technical stuff that to make it work and whatever else. And because the, the event itself is very much created for, for everyone else, it's very much created for, for people to come together. So I've taken everyone's feedback on board. So through the the year and a bit that we've been doing this, people saying, Dan, do you think we can maybe do more of this or less of this or tweak this or change this or add this or, or whatever else? And that's effectively what's happened. And a bit like I was chatting about earlier on, there's a couple of things we tried with Coffee at the Castle that just didn't work as well. Um, so we don't do them next week. Um, I think, and we've, I think I the think, thing is, well, I mean, just to, sorry to interrupt, just, um, you know, no, no, I, sorry. I, don't, I don't think you should undersell yourself too much here, Darren, because, I mean, at the end of the day, I... I come along to that event looking forward to every week because I know you're hosting. Um, and it's because of, you know, your personal style and how you do it that, that I'm there. Um, it would be different if it was somebody else hosting and it wouldn't be the same. So, I mean, yes, Niall and uh, Kenny, if you've been doing the technical side of things, but, you know, you know, it's your people skills that bring the event together and, and why people are there. So, I mean, I wouldn't undersell yourself. There you go. No, you. I, I massively appreciate that, buddy. But I think for me, um, I, I, I look at these things. If I'm going to host it, I look at these things and think, what would I want in an event? So, if I, like, so if I was attending the event, what, what would I want? What would I want to experience? And for me, um, and I think we've, we've, we've kind of managed to kind of nail this as it's a light-hearted event, mm-hmm. but it has a serious undertone. It has a like have the of yeah, well, they bear each other and blah blah blah. But it doesn't need to be stuffy. Like, we don't need to be, like, this kind of formalised, like, it, it, this happens here and this happens here and this happens here. We kind of go with the flow a little bit. Um, sometimes it runs over. Um, sometimes it's a little bit short. So, but... Yeah, I, think, I find that highly structured thing just doesn't head in, you know? It, does, it doesn't work for me, mate. Yeah. So, and I think that's where, I suppose my personality lends itself well to that, is that I, I, I tend to, to like to kind of go with the flow a little bit. Um, and the and icebreaker think, thing for me, I mean, 
I was talking to somebody about this recently. It was, uh, it was Karen Benny. And I was saying that every time I'm, I'm waiting for you to announce what the icebreaker question is, because I'm like, right, what bit can I do? You know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm working out some some ridiculous comedy thing or something. Just like, what, 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 can, I, what can I do that's just so ridiculous? Like, you would just not think of it. And it's really just to torment you, really, more than anything else. Oh, uh, mate, do you, know, do you know what the funny thing is? Like, so obviously as the host, um, there's, there's been, you probably appreciate this, but there's a couple of moments where my finger has been hovering over the mute button for some people. Um, as, as, as a conversation starts and you think, where are you going with this? Like, what, what route are you taking here? And even the ice-breaking thing, like, so I, and I, I, I quite happily admit this, I, I stole the ice-breaking thing from someone else. Um, I attend on a Friday, Glasgow City Chambers, uh, the team at the Chambers host a, a, a networking event called the Ouija Chat. And I went on to it one day and, I, and they had this ice-breaking question. I thought, that's a great idea. Uh, brought it to coffee at the castle and it's been a huge success. And I, and I think that's where, again, when it comes to these networking events, we're still very much in the infancy of what we can actually do with them um, and where they can go and, and how we can drive them and change them and adapt them and, and whatever else. And I think that's where we're all kind of learning from each other. So I think we're, we're, we're at the point where you've done that and it worked. Great, I'm going to use it if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and also things like there'll be certain things that I've done. I've had a few people asking me about um, hosting events, what works and what doesn't work. And I've been able to say to them, look, we we tried that. I thought it was going to be great, and it just didn't work. It didn't. It didn't. Yeah. Tie in for whatever reason. <clears throat> I think the thing, certainly the thing, is for me as somebody who um, would do a lot of events in the real world. Yep. The thing for me is there, there's just things that most an, an awful lot of musical things just don't translate you just can't really do them so um although the entire time through lockdown i've been doing zoom choirs with you know, um the maggie center i do choirs yep. with them it's horrendous i mean it's, it's it's not of any musical benefit whatsoever and it just you know because of the time delays and all this kind of thing is everybody singing together no it's horrendous but what it does do is it, it creates uh, that connection and it keeps people people connected. Yeah. And certainly with a lot of people in that situation, they haven't been able to see other people and, you know, um, and they literally have been, you know, locked away really from, from everybody. Um, and that's been the important thing. It's been the human connection more than anything else. So from, for me, it's like, yeah, it'll be great to go back to, to doing certain things. I mean, and don't get me wrong. I mean, there's an awful lot that I will never go back to doing. It was a perfect time for me to stop doing a bunch of things that I kind of got roped into. Yep. Um, and I was doing like a lot of, you know, small community projects that I just didn't want to be doing anymore. And then when lockdown happened, I'm like, and that's that done. Uh, and all it did was accelerate. Just stuff. You know, it just accelerated everything. Everything that I'm doing now, I was doing. Um, it's just put more of a focus on like it. I, I, I've said this quite a few times to people. Um Everyone keeps talking about like this, this kind of new world that we're in and, and call it whatever you want. I, I, I'm a believer that we, we are probably heading in this direction anyway, but someone just pressed the accelerator. And Absolutely. That's it. This, this is the world that we're going to be living in anyway. Um, but I, I, unfortunately, it's, it's a global pandemic that has accelerated the process of getting there. And even things like we were chatting about virtual networking. I mean, 18 months ago, virtual networking wasn't even a term. It wasn't a... Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't a a thing that we, we spoke about and even when I held the first one I remember like having anxiety thinking 
are we actually doing this? Like, like this is like just a bunch of people on a call networking together. Because that's, and I think this is where, for a lot of people, the brains had to be rewired because that what is possible is very different now. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like, so for me, if someone said to me a networking event, I could tell you exactly what a networking event should look like. Mm-hmm. never involved a laptop yeah and i think this is the thing for me with um you know i, I when at the start of lockdown i, I started doing seminars webinars i don't know really um for business gateway and and i was doing that kind of thing i was like all right okay and there was the nervousness of is the technology going to hold up and just so you're able to do what it is you want to do and i i made the sort of vow to myself that okay if i'm going to be doing workshops and all that kind of thing it needs to be a certain way and I want to do it so that it's going to fit with my brand and all that kind of thing in terms of I want to present it a certain way yep. so actually through Coffee at the Castle that's how I got to, to meet Niall and Niall helps me with my workshop so he does all the back end stuff and he runs the slides and all that kind of thing so that I can just show off you know just I can just do my thing and present um, and I think that's just such a, a huge thing in terms of being able to understand the medium that you're in and this is what's going to work and this is how we can do this so that it can be as smooth as possible and i think the thing is there's ways that we can do that like for example and i'm doing that workshop being able to do breakout rooms and stuff like that you yeah know, it's it's just such a an easier way to kind of break up a room you know rather than okay you guys go and sit at that table and you go sit over there and you know there's all this hubbub and noise you do get that focused attention with that one person, which I think Oh, is, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, I, and I think that's where, if you look at that, there's been certain, um, do you remember the platform Remo that came out quite quickly? Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, Fire Networking, uh, she does her um, networking thing on Remo. Yeah. So I think like Remo's probably the closest you'll get to traditional networking done through a virtual format. Mm. Um and I think that's where for me, when I looked at what we're doing, and I thought if we're going to make it virtual, kind of rip the rulebook up a little bit as far as what we're doing and what we're not doing. Um, w- would we want to continue down that road that we know works, or could we look at something different? Could we? Could we? Could we do things differently? I mean, I, I've thought about this. Like, so, coffee at the castle will go back to face to face at some point. Um, and it's probably going to be a once a month event. We'll still host the, the virtual events every week, but it will be a face to face event once a month. Um, and it might be a traveling tour. Mm. Mm. Um, and then I, I thought, like, literally, just going to go around castles. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how good would that be? I think um, that, that, that's the plan. Literally, it's a tour of castles. A tour of castles. By the way, there, there might be some leg in that. I think see, I'm, see, I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm like, that's coffee at the castle. What castle is it? Um, so I think what we're, what I was thinking about was the way the new networking events work where everyone kind of comes in, gets the 60 seconds, and then you pop into breakout rooms. Could you do that face-to-face? Mm-hmm. Like, this is where I think, you know, obviously it's great to meet people face-to-face, but you do have that, this, this is the thing that we're virtual thing, uh, the whole virtual thing is so much better. You don't get stuck in the room with some guy called Alan, who's an accountant, for some interminable amount of time, and you can't escape him. <laughs> We've all been in that situation where you're literally almost in a headlock with some of them, and you're kind of looking across the room, and I see Greg Freeman across the room, and I'm like, 
Oh, hello. Say me, say me, say Greg! Greg! <laughs> and that's the thing, he's just kind of like, oh my God. And this is the thing that where that you have the breakout rooms. I'm like, it's, a, it's only five minutes here. It's only five minutes. And you're literally looking at the countdown timer. like, I can keep it going. So I've, I've, this is something I've genuinely thought about. And then, by the way, if anybody's still listening to us like an hour later, I'd be quite keen to get your comments below. Um, if we go back face to face, do we go back to what, what we know we've done in the past? Or do we do a kind of new format whereby I'll turn around and say, you, 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 break it room. You, 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 break it room. You, 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 break it room. And then we pop it in there for five minutes and you come back out. So it's like a bit of, so it's just looking at it differently thinking. Yeah. Are we going to do like a, a, a real world version of a virtual network? Yeah. Event? And that, that, that's kind of what I was thinking about. Like, could, like, and again, it goes back to that thing. Could we? Like, mm -hmm. and, and it's maybe something I'm, I, I've thought about this and thought, Try it and it doesn't work because you know what I think world. this is one of the things that I think really works about the coffee at the castle thing is and this is what you could not do in the real world it's like whenever everybody comes on the start and you put that you know seven to ten minutes of just everybody's coming on and getting set up and everybody can just chat and everybody's not muted and there's just you can talk to everybody in the room at that precise moment if somebody wants to say something yes if that was in a real room everyone you'd be shouting okay, can you like, imagine uh, everyone Hello, hello, I need to tell you something. And then everyone would think that is the rudest guy in the world. Exactly, you know, and it's just, whereas it's, it's literally just, and this is where I think it works because the informality of it is just, everyone's just like, how you doing? Right, all right, chat, chat, chat. And it's like we're all in a wee kind of like, uh, I don't know, just kind of, you know, huddled together, just yes. having, that, having that little chat. Um, and and I think that's what makes it, it actually makes strangely is what makes it more personal. Oh, very much so, mate. And I think that's where, like, especially if you get into a breakout room with someone and it's you and one or two other people, you know you've only got five minutes. Mm. So you, you, you need to chat, like, you need to get that. It's not just like, oh, I'll just stand here and I'll look at my feet and I'll shuffle about mm -hmm. and I'll do this. And because it's like, we've all been there, we've all been to networking events where we, we left the networking event and think, <laughs> actually get out of that today yeah um i've probably walked away with 10 business cards and i and if you handed me one of the business cards i'd probably struggle to tell you who that person was yeah um but you are looking at that person and there's more focused attention on that person and you know there's more oh i'm gonna have a one-to-one -one. i mean i would do i do so many more one-to-ones now than i ever did from ever from networking mate do you know what one of the things i've argued with people as well is there's an argument to say that like, so for, take my shed, for example. If we met in the village, you would never know that I have an office built in the back of my garden. Mm -hmm. Ever. Whereas now you can see the fact that you can see my office. You can also see the fact that I've got a load of golf crap behind me. Mm -hmm. um, and people can see things that... Well, I mean, with me, you just to me. massive pictures of myself. You know, I mean... Which is pretty much the same thing, mate. <laughs> I'm still looking into getting that 3D sculpture for the front garden. I'm looking. Like, at I can't believe you've not just went ahead and done it. I am actually. I, I'd really. I, I really. I'm wanting to see about doing it, even just for like some cheap ass version of it, just to see my wife's face. I just think the least I'm going to do is put a roller banner in the front garden and take a photograph. You know, Greg, genuinely, we're not going to get. I mean, it's not going to result in divorce, and if it's, it's very much one of these things where. Your wife is married to you. It's not like she's going she to do know. Well, this is this is the woman who got me this for my birthday. Love, genuinely, mate. Like, it's hold on, other way. 
It's it's pictures of me. She is nothing if not aware of who Greg Feel is. Yes. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> you know the best part is, mate, I've got the exact same blanket covered in a, a one-year-old's face. I, I thought I thought you actually were going to tell me you had the same blanket, but for your dog. I thought that's what you were going to say. <laughs> no, it's funny, like, so when, when I was at the website that, that, that was doing that, everyone had pictures of their dog constantly. And I'm like, oh, my child, my child will go on that. Yeah. I swear to God, my, my wife got that. And there's about three, for my 50th, she got, that was for Christmas, but she, for Christmas, uh, for my birthday, she got um, Dr. Freelgood socks. So literally the picture of me as the doctor, like, on socks and like th- about three or four things with my face on it i'm kind of like and this is why i'm married to this woman this is why this is why exactly you know it's just like she understands the ridiculousness and accept it and and yeah. this is that that's that's how it is anyway darren we could we could blather on for, for hours here but um I'm, I'm pretty sure nobody's listened all the way to the end yeah I, um, i'd be shocked amazed and flabbergasted if they were but can, and I, if you ha- can, can i say can if I you have this? listened to the end if you have listened to the end Put the comment yellow below, and we'll see who who's actually listened to the end. Absolutely, right? Absolutely, this will be interesting. This will be interesting. Um, but can I tell you, absolutely fascinating um, talking to you, sir, and uh, always a good blather. And um, thank you for for joining me today. And I'll uh, love it, mate. Thank you, thank you very much for the opportunity, mate. Right, cheers. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Bye bye.